80% of Americans today are not in church. That's almost the exact opposite of 50 years ago. See, we're just like Israel. We're like the rest of the world. I probably think that, and I could be wrong, but I suspect that the 144,000 that God will raise up will come from the Orthodox realm. People who are looking and breathing and looking for the coming of the Messiah. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we move into chapter 13 today in a message entitled, The Coming Evil Superman. The timeline of this chapter is in between the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, where God outlines his plans on how he'll be using the nation Israel during the tribulation. We'll be spending our time today not only in Revelation 13, but in the book of Daniel as well, as these two books are consistently linked together. Now we're in this parenthetical section between the sixth and seventh trumpet that's going to open up the seven bowls. And we, if you were with us in chapter 12, we began to be introduced to seven personages. So some of these parenthetical sections look back, but they also preview for us. And so we're given uh, a picture of what is happening in some critical personalities that if you don't understand them, you won't, you'll say, well, what's going on here in the rest of the book? That's why I said chapters 12 and 13 are so important to understanding the rest of the Revelation. If John didn't give us these two chapters, we'd be scratching our heads and say, who are these people? First, he identifies the woman, which we saw is the nation of Israel, the dragon, who we saw is identified for us as the devil, the male child who can refer to none other than the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and then Michael, who in the Scripture, of course, is called the archangel. On 12, chapter 12, verse 1, turn back a page in your Bible, it says, A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. We saw the woman could not be Mary Baker Eddy as she thought. It's certainly not the Virgin Mary as Catholics think. And it's certainly not the church, the body of Christ, as replacement theologians teach. You see, the woman gives birth to the male child. And the male child can be identified as no one else but the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, Revelation 12, look down at verse 5. And she, referring to the woman, gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. What is that referencing? Psalm 2, verse 9. A picture of the Messiah when he comes and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now, a child will be born unto us, a son would be given to us, and the Scriptures predicted the governments of this world will rest on his shoulders. That hasn't happened yet. A child was given to us. God became a man. We celebrated the Christmas. But at the second coming, the governments of this world will rest on the Messiah's shoulders, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. It can be no, none other, this woman, who gave us the Messiah. The woman is Israel. Jesus is a Jew. He came from the lineage of Israel. It can refer to none other, and that's what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 9. And by further comparing the description of Revelation 12, 1, as we did with Genesis 37 and the vision Joseph has, the identical vision, 
vision, it was a picture of the nation Israel. Seventy-five times in the New Testament, the name Israel appears. And by the way, in every single instance, it refers literally to Israel. And this is why it is amazing that we are alive to see God reestablishing the people of Israel. And He continues to bring them, even through the evil of men, whether it was Hitler, where boatload after boatload of Jews sought to escape Europe. They came even to our own shores here in America. And our government said, you're not welcomed. And they went back, and most of them were annihilated. You see those letters. It's so sad when you go into the Holocaust Museum in D.C. or Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. And the actual handwriting in the, the, the typed letters by the presidents and the leaders of our nation and how they turned away the Jewish people. But God used that. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And so many fled to Israel. They began to form there and grow. And, and with a hundred million Arabs around them at a, at a time, they were supernaturally able to defeat and recapture the land that God had promised and given to them. And so God predicted this would happen even at the birth of the Messiah. The angel Gabriel came to Mary. We don't read this enough with the Christmas story, but it says he, referring to Mary's son, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That is yet to happen. But I tell you, it will happen because God says it is going to happen. And so what is so sad, though, is that many Christians are now buying into what we call replacement theology. That God is done with Israel. The church has usurped Israel's role. But we saw that God made an unconditional covenant with Israel there in Genesis 15. That it had nothing to do with the faithfulness of Israel. It had everything to do with the integrity and the faithfulness and the promise that God made to them. That he said, as long as the sun is in the sky and the stars and the moon are out, that's how long Israel will be my nation. So here again in this next chart, we see these key personalities, the woman that refers to Israel, the dragon, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. It's no mystery in verse 9. He's identified as Satan, the serpent of old. The male child is the one who rules with a rod of iron the nations of the world, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, Michael, the archangel. And then in the next slide, if you will bring it up, there's the rest of her children that we studied last time that saved Jewish remnant who uh, keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And of course, Satan absolutely hates that. All these Jewish people are getting saved. All these Jewish people are going to realize that the one that they rejected was the Savior of the world. And there's going to be an event that we're going to study in this chapter that is going to open their eyes up, and they are going to realize that they were wrong, that Jesus is Lord. And Satan is going to detest this. He's going to hate this. We saw last time some are going to flee, and they're going to be protected by God, but then the rest who don't flee 
are going to be persecuted and experience great difficulty and heartache. And then we come to the last two beasts. Remember the Antichrist, some 30 titles in the Bible. He's often called the beast that describes his vicious character. But don't confuse him with the second beast. There are two beasts that we'll study in the 18 verses found in this chapter. There's the beast out of the sea, that's the Antichrist. And then there's the second beast, the beast out of the earth. That's his false prophet. Remember, there's this unholy trinity where Satan takes the place of God the Father, the Antichrist takes the place of God the Son, and indeed the false prophet takes the place of God the Spirit where he points men to believe in the Antichrist. Now look again here at verse 1. And the dragon who we saw was Satan from verse 9 of chapter 12, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. So here is Satan called the dragon standing on the sand of the seashore, this one who is the beast out of the sea. Now, if you're using the New American Standard Bible this morning, you're going to see, if you have the older edition, that it reads a little bit different from the newer edition. In fact, in our English Bibles, chapter 12 and verse 1 reads in three different ways. Let me explain. Now, don't forget that the uh, chapter and verse divisions are artificial. So just keep that in mind for a moment. But if you're using the older edition of the New American Standard, uh, this chapter opens, and he stood on the sand of the seashore. Who's the he? Well, you wouldn't know unless you went back to the nearest antecedent, which is the last verse of chapter 12. And the he, of course, is the dragon, Satan. If you have the new New American Standard, the Greek, by the way, says he, it's a pronoun. But because of the confusion uh, that is in some people's minds and because sometimes we don't pay close attention to the fact that the chapter divisions are artificial, the new New American Standard interprets the pronoun, and they're correct in interpreting it. And it says there, in the dragon stood. Now, if you're using the English Standard Version, which is now a very popular version in the United States, or the Southern Baptists have their own translation called the HCSB, they break it entirely different. What they do is they make the end of verse 17 of chapter 12 longer. And so chapter 12 and verse 17, they end with the first phrase in the New American Standard, and he stood or the dragon stood, because then you, you, there's no ambiguity. Now, what makes it even more confusing is that King James reads, I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now, they're just wrong. I don't know how to say it without being mean. They're just, they're, they're just wrong. Because clearly, the one standing is not John, but the dragon, as verse 17 in the prior chapter indicates. But let me just say, in defense of these godly men who gave us the King James translation, in the first preface of the King James, written in 1611, they indicated in the front of it that they were still learning Greek, they were still learning Hebrew, there was a lot of challenges in their mind as to how to interpret certain verses, such that when the first edition of the 1611, we call it the 1611A that was released, they got some more Greek scholars. Remember, for, for nearly a thousand years, the only translation of the Bible was the Latin translation 
We stood in Jerome's cave a few weeks ago where he spent 35 years in the city of Bethlehem meeting Jewish rabbis, learning Hebrew, and translating the original scriptures into Latin. And that became the standard translation for a thousand years. So all of these insignias up here in the windows, sola gratia, sola Christos, sola Deo Gloria, sola scripta or sola fide, they're all right Latin expressions. And we have all these Latin expressions because that's the only translation the church had. The problem is Latin became a dead language. And only the scholar could read it. And of course, a lot of the religious hoi polloi loved that because that put them in advantage and it put the rest of the people in ignorance and now you are dependent on them. And so Roman Catholicism took a prominent role and then people realized, man, a lot of these folks are teaching error. And so came the Protestant Reformation. And one of the goals of the Reformation was to put the Bible in the language of the people. So a few months after the 1611A was released, the 1611B was released with hundreds of changes. And again, they noted in the second preface of the 1611B that they had consulted more scholars in Hebrew and Greek, and they were learning more and refining their translation. You're not reading the 1611 if you have a King James. You're reading the 1738 rendition. That has 100,000 changes between the 1611. Why? Because our English language was changing so fast. And the goal of a translator is to ask what word today best represents that Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic word. So I say that to say that the beast here is, I mean, the dragon here, of course, is Satan. Now, he's called a beast. Again, there's some confusion as to this beast, because if you're using the old King James, if you remember in chapter 4, we saw these uh, four beasts, as the King James says. But the new King James rightly renders it the four living creatures, because the word that they render beast is zoe. We get our word zoology. It speaks of something that's alive. And the word that is used for beast here in the 13th chapter is an entirely different Greek word. And it's describing the ferocious nature of this man who is going to come up out of the sea. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, this is symbolic language. Does that surprise us? No, because in the opening verse of Revelation 1.1, John tells us that this revelation is going to be communicated. And if you have the New American Standard, it footnotes a more literal rendering. It says it's going to be signified. And that's the way the King James renders it. And there, I think the King James is much better than the NASB. The first four letters of signified is S-I-G-N. It is signified. And so this revelation is given in signs and in symbols. And much of it comes from the Old Testament. I've already noted for you that 300 of the 404 verses are Old Testament allusions. And yet never once does it say Isaiah said or David predicted or Moses wrote. You have to go back and dig. And then many of the symbols in the Revelation are given in the same paragraph where it's interpreted. The dragon that's mentioned in chapter 12, a few verses later, is identified for us as Satan, the serpent of old, the devil. So there's no mistake. And so you have to dig. You say, well, why didn't God just say what he meant? He did. He said it in symbols, and I'm so glad he did. 
because it forces us to dig and to read carefully. And God wants us to go back to these Old Testament passages because if you don't, you don't really understand the fullness of what John is trying to say. See, a lot of us, we read the Bible, I don't know, kind of haphazardly. We read a chapter, and if I met you later in the day, if your life depended on it, you couldn't tell me what that chapter was about that you read. But when you study something like Revelation, you are forced to dig and to mind it out like precious treasure, as the proverb said. So let's talk about this symbol, out of the sea, as this next uh, slide shows us. The term out of the sea, uh, you might want to circle those few words and draw an arrow out into the margin and write down a few verses. First, you might want to write down Daniel 7, uh, verses 2 and 3. Daniel there said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four great beasts, he said, were coming up from the sea, different from one another. Now, very often in the Bible, the word sea refers to a literal body of water, or it can be used figuratively to describe the nations of the world. And John uses it both ways. And today in English, we use it both ways. We speak of a literal sea, or we speak of that sea of people, that mass of people coming out of the stadium. Write down another verse, Isaiah 57, 20. The prophet there says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet, and the waters toss up refuse and mud. He is comparing the Jewish people to the pagan nations of the world that he describes as wicked and like the tossing sea. Jot down this verse, Isaiah 17, 2. It says, Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations, who rush on like rumbling of mighty waters. Again, sea being used there figuratively. Or even in the Revelation itself, we could have just given you this one verse, I suppose. Revelation 17, 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot, where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So in all of these passages, the word sea or waters refer to the pulsating nations of the world, the pagan nations of the world. And so the prophet Daniel uses this term, the sea, like the Revelation does, to describe where the Antichrist will come. So Daniel, Isaiah, Revelation use it both figuratively and symbolically. So here in the opening verse, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, out of the nations of the world. So let's ask a question. If the Antichrist is going to come up out of the Gentile nations of the world, which is how the word the sea is habitually used in the Old Testament, do we have any idea from what section of the Gentile world that this coming world leader will come from? I'm glad you asked. We do have an answer. Now, please notice again Daniel 7, verses 2 and 3. And I want you to note in your mind the usage of that little word, the, the article. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. Now, remember, Daniel, like John, is writing apocalyptic literature in sections of his great book, and he uses all these different symbols. 
and we have to discern what the symbol is. And of course, he begins in the first person, unlike the other visions where he saw this and I saw, I was looking. Why? Because now he's not interpreting Darius's dream or Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but a dream that God gives him. I was looking in my vision by night, and I saw the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. Not a sea, but the great sea. He uses the article. So he has a specific reference in mind. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, that you know that geography in the Bible is always given in reference to the country of Israel. God sees Israel as the center of the world. And so when he speaks of north and south, it's north and south of Israel. And when you think of Israel proper, there are four seas that are around Israel. There's the Galilean Sea, there's the Red Sea, there's the Dead Sea. And then there is the Great Sea. And the Great Sea, of course, refers to the modern day, not Pacific or Atlantic, but the Mediterranean Sea. Furthermore, not only do we know the sea, we know the nations around that sea in the same prophecy that he's referencing that clinches it for us as to the exact area of the world. And by the way, not only does Daniel refer to in Daniel 7, 4 to 6 of the nations around this great sea as a lion, a bear, and as a leopard, which we identified the specific countries that were designated by those symbols, John uses the same terminology here in verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. And his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, Satan, gave him power in his throne and great authority. Identical imagery referring to a particular section around the Mediterranean. See, here's a modern-day map of the Mediterranean and uh, the countries that Daniel uh, speaks of as a lion, a bear, as a leopard. They're all right around the Great Sea or what today we call the Mediterranean Sea. So what do we know about the origin of this man? Well, first, both Daniel and Revelation teach that the Antichrist is going to come from a part of the world that is built around the sea, namely the former Roman Empire. And so if you remember Daniel's vision, there's a head and a breastplate and legs and feet. And at the bottom are ten toes that speak of ten nations that at the end of time God is going to bring together. And amongst those ten, ten nations will come an eleventh nation that will end up ruling the whole world. So, big question. If this coming Antichrist, and God is definitive here, this is not a bunch of hooey, we know specifically where he's going to come from. If he comes from this area of the world that we call the former Roman Empire, does that mean he is going to be a Gentile? Well, that's a good question. And I told you when we were in Daniel 11, I would answer it when we came to the Revelation. And a few of you remember that. I don't know if you've got a good memory if you've been going back to listen to Daniel. But if you remember, we looked at Daniel 11 and verse 37. Let me dust off your minds with that verse. It says, He will show no regard, speaking of this coming Antichrist. By the way, Daniel 11, the second half, gives you more information on the coming Antichrist than any other chapter in all the Bible. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. 
Now, this expression, no regard for the gods of his fathers, is really a foolproof expression proving that this man is not a practicing Jew. And some from that conclude, therefore, he must be a Gentile. Had he been a practicing Jew, he would not have used the term that he did. He would not have said the Elohims, plural, the gods of our fathers. He would have said the Yahweh of our fathers. But it's not surprising that the Antichrist would not be a practicing Jew. Doesn't mean he's a Gentile. Think about it. You go to Israel today, and unless you go to Jerusalem or one of the special cities like Tiberias, Hebron, where there's large Orthodox uh, groups of people, most of the Jews who keep moving there are very secular. They're as liberal as you can imagine. They are pro-gay rights. They're pro-abortion. They're pro-adultery. They're pro-partying. You go to places like Tel Aviv and you say, man, this is as pagan as the United States, with the exception of the Orthodox, who are the practicing Jews. Yet they have great national pride. They celebrated by the millions there on the 70th anniversary of their nation. Not by accident, they celebrated by the millions on the victory that God gave them on the 67-day war. It was a miracle war. There was no human explanation how they could have possibly won except the hand of God Almighty because He's preserving them as a nation and He is going to finish the final events in human history through the Jewish people. Yet, most of the Jews are very secular in their lifestyle, kind of like Americans. Most Americans, we believe in God, we're Christians. Yet they were out last night getting blown away at the local bar. They're surfing the pornography on the web. They have little regard. 80% of Americans today are not in church. That's almost the exact opposite of 50 years ago. See, we're just like Israel. We're like the rest of the world. I probably think that, and I could be wrong, but I suspect that the 144,000 that God will raise up will come from the Orthodox realm, people who are looking and breathing and looking for the coming of the Messiah. So this guy will not be a practicing Jew. Does that mean that he's a Gentile? Not at all. In fact, beyond the fact that um, he describes God as the God of his Elohim, Remember, there's a couple of other things that are very, very important. He comes as the Antichrist. Just think about the title for a second. Remember, Christ is the uh, English word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah, Hebrew, Christos, Greek. Same title, two different languages. You could call him Anti-Messiah. And that he comes in the place of the Messiah... And he comes opposing the Messiah, namely the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus. It's not by accident that God gives that title. And out of the 30-some titles of this coming Superman of Satan, that's his most popular title. The Jews are not looking for a Gentile Messiah, even the secular Jews. Now, their vision of a Messiah is different from the vision that the Orthodox people have. But nonetheless, they are still looking for the promised Messiah. And their vision of a Messiah is of a Jewish man. Why? Because the Bible reveals Messiah would be a Jew. From the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. You ask any, especially religious Jew, and they'll laugh at you if you suggested for a moment that the Messiah could be a Gentile. 
Tomorrow, when we continue our study entitled The Coming Evil Superman, we'll look at the biblical evidence that affirmed that the Messiah would be Jewish. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV31. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like yourself. For more information on how you can help support this Bible teaching ministry, click on the Give button at searchthescriptures.org or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, the conclusion of The Coming Evil Superman. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. (laughs) 